What a privilege. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. I have a feeling that there are some in this room who, maybe like me in the moment, weren't brave enough to raise your hand at being overwhelmed. But it's a real feeling, it's a real reality of life. And I want you to hear again this morning, God is able. Whatever it is you're facing, I, I, I've said this to so many people, I don't know, I don't know how long I've been saying this phrase. I don't know how people even try to get through life without a relationship with the Lord. I don't know. So let me start this morning by telling you that if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you are not where you need to be, if He is not Lord of your life, would today be the day that you surrender it all? There is brokenness and sin and overwhelming and accidents and messes all around us. But God. And if you've heard messages before that say, if you become a Christian, if you surrender everything to the Lord, everything's going to be just great in life, I'm sorry, but you were lied to. Life is still going to happen. Brokenness, fire, tribulation, testing will still be a reality. But God, He promises not to make everything great, not to give you rainbows and sunshine, not to ease every frustration, but rather to walk with you through the junk. And can I just tell you what a joy it is to have the creator of the universe willing to be in relationship with the likes of us. So if you don't know God's only son, Jesus Christ, please hear my heart, hear me. He is the only answer to whatever it is you're facing. Yeah, there are lots of other answers that are temporary fixes that are band-aids for life. But Jesus is the only true healer. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that Jesus is the only true healer. I don't know. I don't know what burden you're carrying. I don't know what's overwhelming in every story of every family that's a part of Hyde Wesleyan Church. But this morning, please know, Jesus is available. He wants to be your all in all. I'm excited about the message this morning. 
I'm excited about what God is doing through this series. It's been so fun to hear and talk to people about how these Old Testament stories, these narratives from the Old Testament have come alive again and brought uh, new realities, new reminders. And again, let me start in reminding us that if we just take in information, if, if we just read these stories or we just hear them in a moment and we go, oh, that's a, such a good story, I'm so glad, and we go home and we draw a mural on our kid's bedroom wall, and we think that that's the point that's not enough (laughs) application is everything and so this morning again I hope that in this narrative from 1 Kings chapter 18 that something can apply to our real reality today whatever it is maybe one of the points maybe none of the points but maybe God will use the truth of his scripture in a real way in your life. That's my prayer as your pastor. We're in week eight of our series, Once Upon a Time, and we're continuing to rediscover the truth of God's word in these narratives. This morning, I've entitled the message, Elijah's Sacrifice, but if I can be completely honest with you, I have a working title. There's a working title that uh, appears on my notes uh, because it just helps me to smile when I'm working through my notes. And the working title of this morning's message is really, My God is Bigger Than Your God. Is that okay? Elijah is an Old Testament prophet and he's the main character of our narrative from 1 Kings chapter 18. And Elijah and Elisha are two prophets around the same time. They uh, interact together here in 1 Kings, but Elijah is the one on the scene first. And they often get confused. We find Elijah first referenced in 1 Kings chapter 17. And there's some stuff going on in the promised nation of Israel that's not great at the time. Here's a bit of what's going on. The king of Israel at the time is a man named Ahab, not a great guy. Here's what scripture says about Ahab from 1 Kings chapter 16. Here's how bad of a king Israel had. 1 Kings chapter 16, starting with verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. The king of God's chosen people did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Even more than any of the kings before him, Scripture says. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of kings before him, like Jeroboam, he, Ahab, married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbel of the Sidians. And he began to bow down in worship of Baal. Verse 32, First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. Not a great guy. Ahab and Jezebel, not biblical names that the Wests were looking at when considering naming their next child. Ahab and Jezebel are not uh, big characters in scripture that we rejoice in and we say these are the faithful ones. These are powerful characters. These are not good people in this narrative. Next in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah the prophet from God comes on the scene with a message of judgment from God. As often is the case as we discover God's prophets, he comes on the scene with a message of judgment 
from God for Israel that includes a promise of no rain and no dew during the next few years until God would allow it. Sure enough, that's what happens. Drought, three plus years of drought. We can only imagine the desolation of three years of no rain and no dew in the morning. Scripture is clear that there's some incredible miracles in between this 1 Kings chapter 17 and where we're going to study this morning. There's uh, some ravens that bring food miraculously to Elijah in the story. There's a, a, a boy who was raised from dead to life because of God's faithfulness. There's a miraculous flower and olive oil story that's worth reading if you have time or take time this afternoon. But now we get to chapter 8. And Elijah has been hiding. He's been in hiding in uh, this time frame. But God tells him to get out of hiding. He's not the most favorite prophet in Israel at this time. Because of his message from the Lord. And the king is furious. But God tells Elijah in so many words to go and present himself to the king. To go tell King Ahab that the rain is coming. So Elijah travels to see the king and he runs into another prophet of the Lord, Obadiah. And initially Obadiah fears for his life because he knows how dangerous the situation is. But Obadiah does as he's told and here we are in verse 16. Just allow me to read. 1 Kings chapter 18 starting in verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble of Israel. For Israel, Elijah replied, You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now... Summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by your wife Jezebel. So, they have summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said this, How much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, This is absolutely fascinating. I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay, the, lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the other altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed to the terms. Verse 25, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. 
Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. And I'm a little partial to verse 27. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. It's in the Bible. <laughs> or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still no sounds, no reply, no response. But God. Verse 30, then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he prepared, repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord God. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons of water. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the altar. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. And after they had done this, he said, do it again. When they were finished, he said, do it one more time, a third. So they did, as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed this prayer. Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38. Some time later. Oh, sorry. Verse 38. Crack, boom, right? Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Lord, You are God. And we give You praise. Fill us afresh. Walk with us through these moments together. Allow us to apply the truth of your scripture to our lives here and now. What a privilege and pleasure it is, God, to serve you. We give you all the praise. Amen. What happens next in the story is no, they lived happily ever after. Elijah, what he does next, maybe I shouldn't tell you. Maybe I should just tell you to read it. It's fascinating. Elijah gathers all of those false prophets and he has tea with them. <laughs> There's laughter because some people in this room know what happens next. Elijah kills them all. And after that, sure, rain begins to fall. But when Ahab gets home, he tells his wife what happened. 
And she's none too happy. She promises to end the life of Elijah. Again, it's a narrative worth continuing to read if you'll make the time. As we've been trying to do again through this series, I want to focus specifically on some application points. That as we read, as we digest, and as we apply this story to our lives today, my prayer, again, is that God would do a work in and through us. First, first application, first reminder that needs to be applied to our lives here and now is that the choice to follow is always imminent. The choice to follow God or follow any other thing is always at hand. It is always right before us. The choice is ours. It's it's striking to me as I read the scripture how uh, Elijah put the reality of the situation before the people back in verse 21. He says, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two options, two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the response of the people just grits me. People were completely silent. Throughout the story of the Israelites, there's this tug of war that seems to take place as we read about these children of Israel throughout the Old Testament. There's this tug of war taking place between uh, them knowing their purpose as God's chosen people, one oftentimes that has a heartfelt desire. They, they seem to have a heartfelt desire to serve Yahweh fully. And the other side of the, the, the pull in their life is a tendency to be led astray by whatever or whoever is popular at the time. And if you're like me, if you've read through Scripture, you, you found yourself rolling your eyes and shrugging your shoulders at the children of Israel. But if you're like me, just as quickly as you roll your eyes and shrug your shoulders and shake your head... Maybe you found yourself very similar. The reality of their tug of war is very much the reality of ours. The choice of the Israelites in Elijah's day is the same choice that you and I face each and every day together. And it's the same choice we'll face until the Lord returns to judge the living and the dead. Hear me clearly. It is a choice that we can make to surrender our lives to the will and the way of our Heavenly Father who offers us the choice. Remember Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Scripture is clear. You can enter, Jesus says, God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it two choices not a third option not a I'll figure it out when I get there the choice is real realize again this morning that you and I have been given the option realize again that humanity let's go back to basics humanity because of sin because of Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Eden because their choice to go against God's perfect law sin has continued to become rampant in every facet of our life humanity is destined for eternity away from our creator 
That's the way it is. Human beings will forever be separated from a holy, perfect God because of sin. But there's good news. We've been given a way out of that reality. We don't often start there, right? We sometimes get distracted by that truth. And when we think things like, we try to justify that so-and-so isn't that bad. We're that bad. As the human race, we are that bad. We are, every one of us, running, not walking through the wide path. We are running towards eternity away from God, except if we choose to receive the gift he's given to us, that he's offered us through a relationship only with his son, Jesus. Jesus is our way to eternity with our creator. That's great news. The choice is ours to walk towards eternity with our creator, thankfully, through the gift Jesus offers. Second lesson, we've got to move. Second lesson worth applying to our lives today is that faith and worship can be misdirected. We use those terms a lot in church, right? Faith and worship. Trusting and giving our devotion, our attention, our source, our direction of worship are things that we talk about, but let's not make a mistake about it. In our world, a lot of people who aren't even associated with church or spiritual matters have a lot of faith and worship. You catch how sincere the prophets of Baal and Asherah are in their worship? Can we agree that they had some pretty severe faith in their God? You don't show up at Hyde Wesleyan Church and pick up a knife at the door. (laughs) Aren't you thankful? These false prophets, their attempts of worship and summoning their God continue to increase for many hours and yet no response for many hours. They were not checking their watches hoping to make it to lunch on time. They're devoted, their direction of worship, their focus, their whole livelihoods, their whole being is focused on a false God. This reality continues on in our culture too, right? People all around us, people in this room have faith in and and, and we worship a lot of things, right? Many in our community, many in our world foolishly put their whole faith and trust in themselves and their careers and their politics and their wealth and the pursuit of power. Many in our world and in our circles around us continue to worship these exact same things as well, focused uh, their full attention and celebration on the finite things of this world. Things that don't last, things that don't bring ultimate value or joy. 
again, the choice is ours. The choice is ours as to whom we will place our trust and toward whom we will direct our worship. Now, I believe this is still one of the easiest and most often used tools of our enemy to distract us from our true love. In our world, in our culture, the constant bombarding of things that we're told are worthy of our attention, the ease in which we as human beings put our trust in the things of this world, the enemy has been using this temptation for a long time. Amen? He even used it against Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 remind us of this. The devil took Jesus, took him, Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse 9, the devil says, I'll give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Verse 10, if you're asking Pastor Sherry what Scripture says here, it's a little different. Jesus told him, not today, Satan. (laughs) Get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Are you distracted? Are you overwhelmed? Do you have a lot going on? Welcome to 2019, right? Why is it important for you and me to identify the direction of our worship and the object of our faith? Why it is we do life as Christians? Why is it? Because I want you to hear it. The enemy is a distractor. We must choose to worship and place our faith in the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords because there are lots of Baals and Asherahs in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Forget the town we live in. Christian, I believe there are altars to Baal in our homes, in our driveways, in our backyards. There are distractions, things that we choose to worship with our time, our energy, maybe even our blood, sweat, and tears. Do you hear it? We're not that far off from 1 Kings chapter 18. We must choose to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? I I love this statement, this uh, paragraph from Billy Graham on why it is we as Christians choose to worship God. God is eternal. His inestimate, his, in, his value is seen in the mind-boggling fact that he is from everlasting to everlasting. God is unlike any other being. He never had a beginning and he will never have an end. Amen? 
God is all-knowing. He is unlimited in His knowledge. He knows everything there is to know about us, our world, and the universe. God is all-knowing. Amen? God is all-powerful. He can do anything that He chooses to do. No good thing is beyond His ability to do. No army, no government, no civilization can frustrate His purpose. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere present. There is no hiding or escaping. There's no way to avoid the all-powerful God. No matter where you go in the universe, even to the moon 50 years ago, God is there. God is sovereign regardless of the apparent turmoil, the confusion or apparent chaos in our world. The God we worship is one who does all things according to His will and purpose. He is, has been, and always will be in control of history. God is unchanging in His character, in His purpose, and in His ability. He never changes. He has never been, nor ever will be, less good, less loving, less true, or less powerful. God is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because of His goodness, He gives blessings and joy to His creation. His goodness to us should cause us every day to offer our praise to Him. We worship God because of who He is. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. A sermon's supposed to always have three points. I learned that. Third point. Apply this one. Our God, your God, my God, answers prayer. Don't you love this story? <laughs> I love messing it up a little bit as I read it, and I hope I don't get in trouble for that. I go back to the text. Elijah the prophet walks up to the altar and prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today, God, that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have brought them back to yourself immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up everything. And the people's response? What other response could there be? The Lord, He is God. The Lord is God. In the end of our narrative this morning, in the end of this story, God answers prayer. And the people take notice. Do they get it right from here on out? Nope. But now they have a story to tell. Generations. Literally, generations still today are still telling this story of God's faithfulness, of God's answer to prayer, of our God is bigger than your God. Because God answers prayer. This morning I want us to be encouraged in the same way. In this room, there are stories of God proving himself in your life. Anybody else guilty of archiving those stories? 
Do you know what I mean? They're, they're a little further down on your Facebook timeline. Does that string, does that make a little more sense? At one time, we were like, oh my goodness, God did this awesome thing. God came, he lit up this altar and burned up this bull, and it was awesome. And then we got overwhelmed at lunch plans. And then something else came about, and we got a little over it. And we forgot about the experience. We forgot about God's goodness and his glory and his answer to prayer. If you're not on Facebook, it doesn't make sense to you, but Facebook every once in a while brings up memories. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Before Facebook, we had journals, right? We kept track of stuff that way. My wife kept stuff, track of stuff that way. Journaling to me is difficult. This morning, I can't think of a better way than to acknowledge that even in our church, in our story, in what we are experiencing in our life as a church, in some of our families, that there are stories. So I'm going to ask one of my buddies, Ron, to come up. Ron is the grandpa of Shelby. And let me say this as he's coming forward. I, don't, I didn't ask him if I could say this part, but Ron's one of my heroes. Nancy's coming too, apparently. I didn't. She was there. She was there. Ron, Ron is a, a hero in our midst. He won't say that. But uh, he's the one who pulled Shelby out of the car. Not by his own strength. We, we spent some hours together in Baltimore this week. And uh, one of the things we left that time is uh, Ron said, you've got to say something about this story. And you just got to tell everybody how thankful we are for the prayers of people. And I was like, okay, uh, what do I say in this morning? <laughs> I just felt checked in my spirit to beg Ron to come up and let me interact with him a little bit on stage because of this reality of God answering prayers. I'm going to give him a microphone and I'm going to ask him some questions. Sure. Look at these crazy people, guys. I love them all. I'm glad. Can you guys see them? They're kind of short. (laughs) I think that's a short joke right there. He's pulling that away. Ron, on Saturday... Last week, give us the nuts and bolts version of what happened with Shelby's car. Well, uh, we just took the car out of the trailer, uh, everything checked, getting ready for hot laps. And Shelby got in the car, got buckled up, and uh, he went to start it, and he said, Hey, I think I got a fuel leak. Grab, Grab a wrench, tighten up this line. He said, pull the hood off. I, I just pulled the hood back, and I took the wrench and went to Gwinnett, and I thought I saw a spark. And I saw the spark. Well, I wasn't sure I saw a spark, and then all of a sudden, I saw it again. And just as I went to turn to say, you better get out of the car, it caught fire. car runs on alcohol, methanol. And uh, he, uh, all of a sudden, he's starting to get out. I reach 
for the side of the car. You can come out, you can come out two ways out of the side of the, through the side of the car or through the top. I ripped the side off of it. And, and at this time, I mean, there's 60 pounds of pressure on the fuel line. There's fuel blown everywhere, and I mean, it is hot. And just as I ripped the side off the car, I looked up, and I just seen his head at the top of the car. Somehow, I got to the car, uh, ripped him up out of there, and I probably could never do that again any time, at any time, and threw him to the ground. He started rolling, he rolled for probably 20 yards, and I'm coming behind him, trying to beat the flames, which I couldn't see, but I knew they were there. And finally I said, buddy, I think I got you out, and he said, my legs are still on fire. I got his legs out, and then he sat up, and he's telling everybody, put his hands up, and he says, I'm okay, I'm okay. And uh, his hands are, were burnt really bad. I, I really couldn't look at them at that point. And, uh, and then a, uh, the ambulance got there, a lady from the uh, race trailer beside us came, she was a nurse, and uh, she told the lady in the ambulance, we gotta get this suit cut off of him. Uh, he, had a, he had a racing suit on. Racing suits are only good in fire from, good racing suits are only good in fire from three to five seconds. He had Nomex underwear on under that, which gives you another second or two. This whole thing only lasted five to seven seconds. And it's hard to imagine what all went on in that amount of time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but he, he stood up and he said, I'm, or he sat up and said, I'm okay, I'm okay. But, you know, I saw the, the swelling start, we started to see the swelling starting to come a little bit and stuff and they they took him down there's a park down the road a ways and the helicopter came in and uh, the medic in the helicopter said we gotta uh, we gotta put a breathing tube in him you know just in case he has more swelling and which they did and uh, so they flew him and they flew him to, to Baltimore, Baltimore and to the burn unit to the burn unit and I remember I remember her saying to the medic she said uh, I don't care where you send them, time ain't a factor, just send them to the best place. And I'm sure God had his hand in that because uh, we've been, this last week, we've been watching a miracle uh, and a healing unfold. It's just, uh, it's, it's pretty hard for me to say, you know, I probably, I probably cried five pounds of tears. I think I lost five, six pounds, pounds this week. And they're pretty much all tears, but there was no sadness. It's the overwhelming outpouring of people like yourselves, the churches, the racing community. Everywhere we turn, it's just, a, it's just an outpouring of, uh, of love. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, about the, about I don't even know what day it was. Sort of like when you have a holiday, you don't know what day it is after that, you know. Uh, I knew somewhere around that first day that he was going to be healed. And uh, maybe it was the second day. Don't know. But, and, and, and I'm just holding on to that. God, God's healing him. You just wouldn't believe what we've seen. The miracles that we've seen in this past week. Uh, just from, right now, when, they, when, we got, when we got there, they were talking six to eight weeks. We're looking at 
I, well, I wouldn't be surprised if he ain't out by the end of the week, but uh, he has another surgery on Wednesday. But I'd really be surprised if he wasn't out of here sometime next week. And uh, he's, he's feeding himself, and he is every bit as positive as I am. Uh, I know he was healed. And we're just watching it unfold. And like he wouldn't even, like if his Nana wanted to say something like, well, you know, if, and he'd go, with his clubs that he has for hands right at the moment, because everything's all, all bandaged up. But he don't want to hear this if thing. He knows. And uh, it's only through the, the grace of God and the power of the Lord and you people <laughs> for all that. But one of the things that's so hard is... You know, do you ever know anybody that cusses a lot? <laughs> they have all these words for their emotion that just gets more rank and terrible and awful. But when you have something good, any word of God's thank you. And it just don't seem to be enough. <laughs> but thank you. Thanks, Ron. We don't need an altar. We don't need a young bull. We don't need a trench dug around it. We're seeing right here, right now, in our midst, God's answer to prayer. When we were spending the hours with them on, uh, on Wednesday down at the hospital, just the, the conversation continued to lead to getting little, little glimpses of how God is already at work in answering prayers. When uh, I got word that Shelby... <laughs> was eating mashed potatoes. That's, that's immediate fire from heaven. What, what that is. In the reality of what he was facing and uh, the severity of the situation, these breakthroughs are continued confirmation that God is answering prayer. Because that's what God does. He's in control. He's in charge. And he gives us the opportunity to surrender daily to him. So do it. Will you stand with me? Bow your heads with me. Lord, just like Ron said, the two words, thank you, often feel like not enough. But God, we do, with an attitude of humble reverence, in awe, say, thank you. Lord, we acknowledge in this place here this morning that the choice to follow you or to follow the things of this world, the choice to put our faith in the King of kings and Lord of lords, the choice to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords or any one of the false idols of this world is very real. And Lord, I am here we are here to publicly say, you are God. And here and now we choose
to worship you. Here and now we choose to follow you. Here and now we choose to surrender again to you. Thank you for answering prayers, God. Thank you for drawing our attention towards the very real needs before us. Lord, I pray that you would be with grieving families today. I pray right here, right now, Lord, that you'd be close to Pastor Angel's family and the loss of her brother. Lord God, would you be healer? Would you be close to the brokenhearted? And God, I pray that you'd be close to the Rolls family. Would you continue to have your hand in a real way upon Shelby? Lord, I pray that those who are coming in contact with that young man would continue to see you at work. Not chance, not circumstance, not magic. God, would they see and sense your Holy Spirit at work in this story? for the hundreds of other stories that are part of our church family, even here and now, right here in our presence, the, the ways in which, God, you are at work in our midst. I pray that we would make much of you. Help us to tell our stories to the world. Help us to declare your glory, your ability, even to someone in our circle today. And I pray you would go with us. You would fill us with your presence that we would know that we are in relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Would you convict our hearts? Would you use us as your hands and feet in this world? Would you be present in our everyday? You are good. You are God. And God's people said, amen. God bless you.